0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Another Brick in the Wall, radio and cameras show which focuses on architecture, construction and sustainability. With me, Pedro Clark, as your host. Today we don't have an architect, but we're focusing on building with us. And to do so, we have a very special guests who is no stranger to being on the radio. Alistair Leyset, ex-BBC war correspondent, Golub Trotter, and more recently, someone who's taken on a really special project in the Alentejo. His project is called Valadeus and it's now starting to take shape in Odmira. Alistair, welcome on the show. Thanks a lot for coming. Hi there. Hello. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I met Alistair totally by chance at the British-Portuguese Chamber of Commerce event about sustainability. We've interviewed architects, researchers, historians, but we haven't really interviewed what I would call a professional client. Because for every great building, you normally have to have a client with a vision to match it behind. And when I heard about what Alistair and his wife were doing back in uh, in Odemira, it really caught my attention and my interest. Um, so why Portugal? Oh, a big question. Um, yeah, why Portugal indeed? Well,
1: Anna, my wife, is half Portuguese and half Swedish. Um, We've travelled the world together, myself as a um, foreign correspondent, Anna as a diplomat for Sweden, for many years, and we decided that it was uh, time to stop moving every three or four years and to find a home somewhere. We had the UK, Sweden and Portugal to choose from, so it was a very easy decision to make. Uh, we had to find somewhere we wanted to, to live in Portugal. And Anna's grandfather, grandparents, uh, are from Alentejo, her dad's family. And so we drew a big line around the borders of Alentejo, which, as you know, is a third of the country. And we set off looking for, to start with a bit of land, with a ruin, with the idea of doing it up. And uh, over the time, over 10 years or something, while well, we continued our life bouncing around the world. And we uh, we went east, first of all, to the areas around Évora and Eshtermarsh and the Wineland, one country. Saw some places there, thought, well, this is nice. But we were drawn to the ocean. And so we came back west and as far south as we had to to be able to afford something, uh, which was down in Odomira on the countryside side. So our views uh, go as far as, um, as Sarah Monchique um, but we're only 15 minutes from, from that ocean, from Zambougera de Mar and that beautiful, uh, wild Alentejo coastland. We didn't find a ruin a bit of land. We found um, a property of about seven hectares with two buildings on it. Uh, one of them a guest house, one of them a home to live in, built by Germans about 15, 20 years ago. Um, and we decided, we saw the view, we fell in love with it and we were able to buy it. Uh, we were living in Africa at the time. I was the Africa correspondent. We were living in Nairobi. Um, And it was then we started thinking about not just a a place that we would come to from time to time, but actually a place where we would live. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a a year at Stanford University on a journalism fellowship. So I took a a year off the BBC and we went off to San Francisco. And um, while we were there, we started plotting and scheming. Uh, We contacted an architect. We thought, well, let's try and do something with the land that we have and the view that we had. And so our thoughts started going towards building some kind of little tourism um, lodge type thing. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And that started already a couple of years ago, didn't it? That's right. Yeah, it was about two years ago. We bought the place about three and a bit years ago, I suppose now. Okay. But we saw this view, we said, this really is something we can do more with. Yeah. Um, and so we started putting together a business plan, getting a consultancy, getting an architect, and starting to plan what it was we wanted to build.
0: Yeah. And how early on did the idea of sort of building with earth um, come into play? Because typo is a very particular technology to the Alentejo. We have rammed earth all over the the world. It's one of the basic construction materials. Mankind's been using it forever. But the tradition in Portugal went, uh, and it was very strong until the 50s and 60s. And then with the sort of exodus from the rural countryside of most people, um we just didn't see anybody building in 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 type of for a long long time and then there's some experiments in the 80s and 90s and was this something that you guys really wanted to 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 lead with or was it the architect that suggested it
1: well when we we first um came to waterira we went to see an architect who was quite well known um and his first thing was typer we're going to build in Taipa. This is how we do things. And he showed us some projects he was doing in Taipa, um, and we hadn't heard of it up to that point. But the idea of taking earth from your own land and and building that into a house in the in the sense that you know, in fifty years' time, what we've built on the land can just be knocked down. if if things move on and it's just back to the way it was was wow well that's kind of sustainable isn't it that's a great thing to be able to do he told us about the uh, the properties of Taipei or the really thick walls that keep the houses cool in the summer and um uh, and warmer in the winter, and, and and hold the moisture to then evaporate off when the sun is, is is shining. And we thought, yeah, this is what we'd like to do. We were recommended to another architect, and we went to him, and we were like, we want to do Typer. He was like, uh, okay, yeah, sure, we can do that. And that's where we, we got uh, talking about uh, how it would look, and uh, the shape of what we're doing. Um, We obviously want to use as much typo as we can, but one of the architectural features that he'd built into the plans, which we really liked, was an oversized chimney. We've got four buildings we want to put up, three of them accommodation, one of them kind of a main building with a little restaurant and a a big deck in it. Um, But the houses need to be divided in two, two of them are a T1 and a larger T1, and the third building is basically three suites together. So we wanted something to divide them so people would have some privacy. And this was where this idea of a big chimney came in, and it was more difficult to build that in typer. So the idea is we'll mix the brick of those chimneys with the typer of the walls, and hopefully we'll get the best of both
0: worlds. Yeah, the oversized chimney is, is quite a feature in the project. And it's also something that I'm assuming your architect did quite um, instinctively, because the vast majority of houses in the Alentejo are marked by this long building and then a vertical chimney that always punctuates the, the traditional vernacular architecture. And your building now, I've seen probably as a result of the, the building regulations, which always seem to have their own funny implication on how things turn out, is going to be a hybrid of concrete uh, structure and typer. Is that correct?
1: I mean, it, it's we wanted to do as much typer as we can. I, as I understand it, you the law says you have to have concrete lintels on top of the typer Um, there was also a regulation about us having to insulate the walls as well but i understand that's now just changed because um it, it typer behaves very differently and there was this regulation saying you had to have a certain amount of um of insulation and that kind of ruins the point of them. It doesn't allow them to breathe in that way but the idea of leaving one whole wall open to show the type of, um, to make it a, a talking point is something that we'd like to do yeah. in the interiors. Um, but yeah I think we, we do have to have certain elements of concrete. We met some people not too far from here who are trying to do everything without any concrete which would be amazing but we just don't think that the um, the technology on the timeline and the budget that we have will allow us to do that at this stage. Uh, we don't know how the materials will react to underfloor heating, which we want to put in. And so, um, yeah, that's that's what we're hoping to do.
0: The vernacular materials and the more natural materials are many times not considered in the building regulations because they are done for the average construction that's built today. And a lot of that is down to industrial materials that we kind of know how they behave. And some of the unique features and the reason why for centuries people have built in mud in certain countries get forgotten and uh, it's good to see that there's now a bit more openness towards that. Um, I remember when my dad started to to work here in Portugal um, about 30 years ago putting insulation into into walls wasn't even uh, standard practice. Then a period came where people would build the cavity wall but not put insulation into it. then insulation started to be put into it when you can grab the contractor to actually do it properly. And then from there on it's evolved and there was a period I think around, 15 years ago, where because of it being quite novel, the way it was told to architects and to builders was you just have to put this amount of insulation. So it was told to you in in centimetres as opposed to talking about the U value and the actual thermal resistance of a wall. And now, finally, I think we're getting to a point where we can calculate that and actually use it uh, through its thermal uh, mass component and through its heat loss or heat gain. But I've also, uh, I've chatted with you about this before. You've had a couple of other hiccups in this sort of two year journey about strange uh, building regulation situations that you've sort of come into. Could we uh, just know a little bit more about that?
1: Um, we are living off the grid completely. So we bought this house, water came out the taps, the lights came on and and, and that happened until it didn't. Uh, And then we had to start wondering why, because there was no instruction manual. Um, We didn't know until very recently, in fact, uh, how the pipe connected from the borehole on one side of our valley to the water tanks on the other side of the valley. We only found that out when we cleared um, two hectares of eucalyptus for the building. um, And in digging the roots out, uh, the water stopped. And then we went looking for the new spring (laughs) um, and we found the broken pipe and we repaired it and uh, and we moved on from there. But no, I mean, it's been... Very challenging in the first instance, just getting used to the living off the grid thing. Um, The one thing I managed to get was good internet. Uh, We found a a great radio link uh, to the top of Monchik. So it's a very different sort of system. I had one in Afghanistan when I lived there years ago. It's a great system. Um, And so we're very fortunate to do that. But um, in terms of I I burned out all the um, lead acid batteries within the first six months, because there was a leaking toilet and that meant the pump ran and the pump ran down the power and that destroyed the battery. So we had to buy a new battery. You know, it's been a very steep learning curve and an even steeper spending
0: curve um, in many ways. It's been like a long episode of Grand Designs where (laughs) you first had to learn how to live with the house. Yeah. And uh, and then now you're starting to play around with it and and change it. So have you got your permission to start actually building or... We're still sort of stuck on that one.
1: Well, where we're at is we we, we, we got um, funding. We applied for funding from the uh, Turismo de Portugal. Um, and we got the funding, which is um, two thirds of the project funded by a loan, uh, the majority of which is zero interest loan. Obviously, in order to do that, we had to get quite a lot of our ducks in a row. We had to budget everything down to the type of walls, to the um, the cutlery. Um, we um, submitted the uh, initial drawings and sketches and that was all approved. So we were able to, to proceed. Then we, once we got the go-ahead earlier this year, we put in the specialties or we started working with the engineer and the architect for the various different specialties that we needed uh, in order to submit those to the camera, to the town hall here, which we did about a month ago. Um, we are... so. Because of, I think, perhaps because of the costs going up of materials at the moment, and both the wood prices, steel, transport costs, uh, builders have been very reluctant to say anything until we present them with the execution project um, in terms of giving us a quote to look at. So we currently have the project out with seven or eight builders um, with hoping that they're going to come back with a figure that is um, both fitting with or thereabouts to the original Amount that we were approved from a plan of eighteen months ago, um, and that they can do it in the timeline we have, because this—it's called LACU. L A Q-O, this, this form of funding, you have two years from signing on the dotted line actually to having the building finished. Um, so it's a very tight timeline on things like Typer, which of course, as you know, depend very much on the seasons.
0: There's a lot of rain. People can't work. If there's too much sun, it's very difficult. You can't plaster and render until it's actually fully dried out. Otherwise the moisture content will pull your plaster off as you're doing it. So right. there'll be quite a lot of different stages you're going to have to go through. Yeah. Um,
1: but I mean, so now we're waiting basically for builders to give us um, a timeline and a figure, yes or no. We're waiting for the, the Camera Municipal odomira to come back and say, we love your project, great, um, go ahead, and or hear some questions. And then we'll um, hopefully get a building permit and, and hopefully start work next year. But we've learned in the time, the 18 months we've been living in Portugal now, that things take a very long time, and, and particularly in Alentejo, I think. Yeah. Um, and with COVID, it's obviously made things even more difficult, whether it be the bureaucratic side of things, which we knew nothing about, know little about. Anna speaks Portuguese, but it uh, it's very technical. A lot of the uh, uh, techno-speak, I suppose, bureaucratic speak in Portuguese, it, it's uh, it's quite hard to follow sometimes. So we often feel like we're flailing around, but we have an idea and we really want to make it happen. Um, and, you know, that the delays we've had, the time it's taken has been good because we've met a lot of other people, and most of them have horror stories about builders that they've worked with um and so we've learned from that we've 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 understood the kinds of things we need in place in order to try and improve our chance of success to to protect ourselves uh and to allow this to go ahead. It's
0: not an area where there's a lot of people with a lot of experience so uh typers these days are little known technology and I'm actually even surprised that you have eight. Builders considering to build something in typer. Have you had the sense that they know what they're doing, or they're probably all just going to the same little old man that they know in the same village? And you get eight quotes from different people, but it's only one guy that actually knows how to do the job.
1: No, I think there's a lot of um, people who are able to do typer here. We've um, we've seen a few um, jobs going on, um, seeing how it's done. Anna describes it for your listeners as as bricks that sort of the size of coffins uh, that are built in situ. We hadn't realised that it was built on top of each other. Exactly, the walls go up and pile on top with the form wood building up and up and up. Um, But no, I think there are a lot of people here who are very good. Uh, The initial quote that we got from a company they were sounded great. Um, but when, we, when it came to the, right, we'd like to start this, um, the builder couldn't give us a year that he'd finish, let alone a month, um, let alone any penalties for not finishing on time. Um, and this is where, as, as outsiders, as, as my sort of pushy journalists and pushy diplomats coming in here and saying we want to get things done, we have to
0: check ourselves because people don't work that way here. That's why it's such a great place. Yeah, I've mentioned that to you in the past as well. We've had a client once uh, from the UK And um, they struggled to understand sometimes the rhythm of Portugal. And I'm half British, so I I kind of get both sides and I'm I'm comfortable with it, although I get very frustrated at the same time. Um, But if you wanted this country to work and be like the UK, then it would be and work like the UK and it wouldn't be Portugal for the things we like it to be. So with every good thing, there's always a sort of a a trade-off or something that doesn't work as well or works differently. So... It's just about that learning curve, adapting to it, not getting too stressed about it and, and accepting you have to sort of go with the flow as much as possible.
1: I think that's right. And it's, it's that balance of if you don't say anything, then nothing will happen. But if you say too much, it'll take twice as long because people will be upset. That, you say, it is the beauty of it. It's why this is such a wonderful, special part of uh, of, of Portugal and of the world. Um, and so it's a trade-off, Absolutely. And yeah, I think in the summer, we just thought, we're pushing, we're pushing, we we want to get the specialties, we need them, we've got to get quotes, and the prices are going up, and it's eventually we're like, okay, uh, it's August, nothing is now going to happen, let's just go to the beach, let's uh, see friends, let's try and... In the back of our minds, and I think that's going to have to be the way to do it, not to get too stressed about it. If it's going to work, it's going to work. We hope it will. Um, and so we just got to go along with it that way. Um, and I, we've seen friends who push really hard, and, and you know, that hasn't worked. We've seen people who haven't pushed enough, we've seen people who've paid a lot more, and that's worked really well. Yeah. <laughs> we can't do that, sadly. It's just different approaches. Um, I think the funniest was when our engineer who is this kind of absolute stalwart of the region. Everyone knows this engineer. Uh, he, he, it takes him time to do things because he's so busy. So many people want him to work for them. And we're sitting in a meeting with him and our, our water guy said, oh, thing about builders, he said, I've got a story in English. And the guy didn't speak much English. He said the thing about builders, he said, so the God, God and the devil, they decided it was time to make up and uh, they would build a bridge and have a meeting, shake hands, and sort out all the problems of the universe. And, and so they agreed they'd start building from heaven and to hell. Each of them would start building, and they'd meet in the middle. And they started building and building, and the devil reached halfway point, and he looked, and he couldn't see God's bridge anywhere. And he called God, and he said, what's going on? And God said, look, I haven't even started. And the devil said, well, why not? He said, well, there's no builders up here. <laughs> Which was a bit harsh, <laughs> very harsh. Um, and we'll probably get us into trouble. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah. I think what it means, it's a minefield. It's really hard to, especially at first as an outsider and not having enough of the language, it, it is very difficult. But as our friend who's in the middle of a nightmare <laughs> with a building says, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And I think that that is something we keep telling ourselves and uh, we'll do it, we'll get
0: there. I think that sums it up quite well. Actually, it's um, it's it's an art in its own. I think most people think of building as a trade, but it's also an art. and And being a client in such a project is an art as well, because you need to know when to push, when to let go, uh, what level of finish to accept, and and with a material that's as moody as type is, uh, you can't expect a perfectly straight hundred percent millimeter precise wall you a lot of it's going to sort of come out of its nature and and that's also its beauty um but you're going to combine this very rustic and vernacular material with some very state-of-the-art uh technology because you're currently living off grid and your aspiration is that once uh vale is fully operational it's still going to be an off-the-grid uh tourist um, lodge to, to some extent so what are you putting into that because that's also going to be a challenge on its own
1: it is yeah and there's no choice because we don't have water coming here we haven't got sewage systems and there's no power and it would be extremely expensive if it was ever to happen at all um, to be able to do that so we've decided we are going to yeah do this completely off grid so firstly power photovoltaic pv panels Um, 100 or 120 of them, depending on what we have. We're looking at 100 um, kilowatt hours of batteries. We hope that will be enough to to power what we're doing. So that firstly. Uh, Then water. We have a borehole. It's salty. Uh, not brackish like the ocean, but it's nevertheless salty. It's too salty to to drink. And one of the regulations we've been told—we're still looking into—is that you have to have drinking water quality in, in the toilets, in the showers. So that means we have to uh, deal with that water. Now, initially, we um, put a reverse osmosis system in to remove that salt, but then we realised firstly the capital costs very high. Um, secondly, um, the the amount of energy it uses whenever it wants to, um, is very high. And we need to control when pumps are running at what time of day, i.e. when it's sunny in the middle of the day. Otherwise, in the middle of a rainstorm, um, if all the pumps start running, then the solar panels go down and we'd have no power, and that's not going to work. Um, and also, there's an awful lot of waste. Half the water goes when you use reverse osmosis. We don't... It's and This is a dry area. We don't have that kind of water. So the question... Was how do we try and solve that? And we looked at getting pipes from the um, uh, the irrigation canals that run across this part of Ademira, from the um, uh, from Santa Clara Reservoir. Um, we thought about perhaps another borehole, which we're still considering. We thought about a tank, a four hundred thousand liter tank. Let's capture the rainwater, store it in that, use that. But where does that go? It has to be below everything because of gravity and it has to be built into a hill it's hugely expensive and so after months of back and forth and questions and asking and speaking to people two people came up with the idea of just cleaning up the reservoir the dam it's about 50 meters across probably when it's uh, um, it's a reasonable size so to clean that up um, and to improve by putting swales in across the hillside the amount of rainwater it can collect Mm-hmm. Uh, then thinking we need to use um, the rainwater collection from, we estimate, about 600 square metres of roof space and solar panels, which can then be collected in a, um, a gutter and piped directly into the lake, so that when you have those big showers in sort of May time, which would just soak into the ground and not go anywhere, we can actually channel them directly into the lake. But the key to it is to, is to use the lake as a um, dilution for the salt water, So to put the borehole water into the lake, mix it with the drinking water, have a biofilter just to keep an eye on everything to make sure there's no issues. And then pump it up the hill, put a couple of manilia tanks in, these concrete ring tanks that aren't relatively inexpensive. So the water arrives, no longer salty, and we can run it through a basic a good filtration system from one tank into another and then have a large amount of drinking water for the new builds and to feed into our current system. And so that was months of thinking. Um, the lake is now, you know, ready to
0: accept a lot more water. We're just waiting for the rain to come. Yeah, that's almost an engineering feat on its own, really. it's It was quite the task to get that to, to work
1: yeah it's i mean yeah we've um literally just just finished um the work on that and we hope that's going to be the solution it is our biggest concern is um is not having enough water in this area because boreholes are going to dry up um we think the future in this area from what we gather is a series of lakes is people putting storage lakes in and yeah. then trying to um you know protect them as best we can and then was the, the whole issue of how we create hot water you know you think well I think the big takeaway in all of this, without going into too much detail and boring all your um, listeners to death, uh, is there's no one-stop shop for an off-grid, how do you build all this stuff? Everyone you go to has their own either agenda or, because they want to sell you a particular thing, or the things they work with and they know. And, And nobody really has that whole spectrum of uh, of, of knowledge that we've come across, at least in terms of how to do that in in the specific cases we are here, people will say one thing, but we'll go, uh, yeah, no, we can't do that because we can't pump up hill when it's raining, so the water has to be collected below there. Um, You know, all these kinds of things have come into play. Um, Moving hot water around, do you do things on the site? Do you do thermal solar as well as photovoltaic? Well, if the sun's not shining, then neither of them is going to be doing anything. And we've gone down the route of heat pumps. Um, We now see there are heat pumps that are built into water tanks. Uh So we can use our solar um, and create another battery by heating water up during the day that then is going to last throughout that night. Um, and if we get to the point where you've got rain and cloud for days on end, well, this is where we're looking at building salamandras, um, heaters with water jackets around them into the walls, into those brick walls, um, to then put fires that will heat the water yeah. as the alternative to us not having electricity, which is what we've experimented with with our own house. And it's actually
0: working really well at the moment. Mm. There's actually a, a Portuguese technology that uh, I've come across recently And they make uh, heat pumps and, and solar heat pumps here in Portugal. And they will actually run, and this might sound confusing, through the rain, through the night... Um, and it might be something that you might be considering to look at. And the heat exchange unit is working through evaporation very much like your fridge would. So these panels, they work better if the sun is heating them, but they also work absolutely fine if there's wind running across them or if there's uh, shock temperature differences at night. So um, those would work throughout the day, throughout the night, 24 hours a day and they will require less energy than your traditional heat pump to uh, to run so it might be something you you might want to look into
1: fantastic i mean that's the thing we've we've got you know we're waiting for the building to start and we 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 can now focus a little bit on the tweaking those projects and trying yeah. to find exactly what's going to work because we also want to think is it is it going to be feasible to have some kind of windmill yeah now the circular windmills um are very loud they need to be very high um we don't think they'll work for in terms of price for what you get for them that doesn't seem to be there yet mm-hmm. although we've been seeing recently these uh windmills that are sort of a cylinder that spin and so therefore yeah. wind from any direction yeah um so that could help we have this wonderful Northwest breeze that comes down the valley every evening even in the the summer it makes it beautifully yeah. cool and uh, Natural air conditioning, but the other thing, of course, is that we've got these pipes with all this rainwater rushing down. Then perhaps we should look at micro um, hydro, and have little yeah. points where, at certain places, we can pull together. And even if we're getting, I don't know, a thousand, fifteen hundred watts, let's say, um, from a few of these together, that'd be enough just to keep things ticking over uh-huh. when it's cloudy, when there's issues. Every little bit helps. It helps reduce the, um, the extremes, the peaks and troughs of the solar battery uh-huh. up and down, which you know, the more ups and downs, the steeper they are, the, the, um, the shorter the lifespan of the battery. So these are all these kinds of things we're now looking into as almost tweaks, um, w- whether we can afford them
0: or, or not. We'll see. Yeah, it's one of those things where you almost need a very intelligent learning process. So you, you've been in a process of learning how to live off-grid. Now you've been designing and preparing your house and your lodge to become a, a larger off-grid thing. And then the first year or so will be a tweaking year where you learn how to operate the house and, and use it.
1: The worry is that you, you sort of think, oh, have only we done that afterwards. Yeah. We will put underfloor heating in ready And perhaps we might not be able to afford a really good heat pump system or a particular system in one of the houses. But as long as we can then add to that afterwards, what we've been doing is we we kind of built um, sections, um, improved the houses we're in. And I learned a lot about reinforced concrete, about bricklaying, about roofing and woodworking in doing that. My hands now, my phone doesn't recognise me when I stick my fingerprint on them because it's been burnt <laughs> off or uh, or sealed by some kind of sealant or paint or something. One thing we do have is huge networks of people around the world. I've been writing this blog for the last year called Off Grid and Ignorant in Portugal, which people can Google and, and, and look up and have a laugh at just how much of a mess I've been making of the whole thing. But that's led to, it's, we have two, it's a couple of thousand people reading it every week, and there's always people messaging saying, oh, meet this guy, or have you heard about this, uh, and sending help. We've even had people come and stay with us uh, to help us out, artists and builders. Um, and so a lot of people with great knowledge and experience and information prepared to be involved
0: and, and try and help us make it work. I think that's the beauty of, of a construction project like that. It's the whole thing becomes an experiment and an experience. And I I really hope you get the planning permission really soon. And I hope you actually get to break ground with all the extra buildings you need to put on the site. So Alistair, thank you very much for having you on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, in any anytime you need any advice or anything, feel free to, to give me a call. And if I can help out in any way i will thanks very much you've said that on the record now so i'm going to be calling you all the time you know that (laughs) yeah yeah, no
1: worries
0: (laughs) just kidding thanks very much for having me on it's been a pleasure yeah okay thanks a lot thanks guys thanks for listening back home i hope you enjoyed it bit of a different episode today but uh it's been like that every single one of them has been different and i hope you enjoyed this one um don't forget to follow us if you're not already doing it until then bye for now